invite your attention back to Luke chapter 24. The title of my message this morning is Fact and Faith. Fact and Faith. Now this discussion that goes on in the text that we just read is the Lord talking to some disciples on the road to Emmaus who had different ideas about what Christ should have done when He came here rather than understanding that He died in the room instead of His people and the substitutionary sacrifice that redeemed them from all sin. They would really not learn this fully until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and opened up the Scriptures to them as the Lord had promised in John chapter 16 when He says, there are things you ain't ready to learn yet, but you're going to learn them. Our Lord told them that they were slow of heart to believe all that was written of the prophets. And what He was saying there was that there was no New Testament. The only thing they had to preach Christ and understand Christ was the Old Testament. That's all they had. And that's why over and over again in the New Testament when the letters are written and when the sermons are preached, it's words like, It is written, or thus saith the Lord, refers us back to the Old Testament of the Bible. He further goes on to take the Old Testament then and show these men the things concerning himself. Now, the things he was talking about was the fact that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and he was going to rise again from the grave. He says this in verse 40, uh, verse 40 uh, excuse me, verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory. Now, only two subjects are covered, there, are covered there, the suffering and the ascension to the right hand of the Father. But if you know anything about Scripture, you know that there ain't no glory if something ain't accomplished. And so the death He accomplished, He accomplished our salvation. And then verse 44, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. If you look at the book of John, you have verse chapters 13 through 16 that He spent preparing His disciples for His going away. And they really had some difficulty with the message that He preached and taught them. These things, these are the words I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the Law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible. And in the Prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning Me. That's what the Bible is about. He said to the Pharisees, Ye search the Scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life. But they are they which testify of me, and you will not come unto me that you might have life. Then, after he had expounded from the Old Testament Scriptures, opened up their minds to the Old Testament Scriptures of things concerning him, he opened, he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So without knowing Christ, and without Christ, there is no understanding of the Old Testament. There's no understanding at all. But when you know Christ and have received Christ, then the Old Testament just becomes different books of the Gospel, the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he said, Thus it is written, and he's from the Old Testament, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. To suffer and rise from the dead. Now, in these verses, our Lord rehearses the story again that He said so many times, the truth that He has often spoken to His disciples concerning His death and burial and His resurrection. 
Now that is commonly what people will talk about when you ask them what the gospel is. They'll say it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's really Christ dying, Christ being buried, and Christ being resurrected. The disciples were slow to learn. He said that. He called them fools. That word is not the same word as uh, that he prohibits us to call our brethren. The word has to do with being childlike and foolish. They were slow to learn and hence the repetition. That's why the preacher preaches the gospel over and over and over and over again. He just keeps on saying it till you know, till we, till we die, and then we'll leave this flesh, and we'll finally learn it right. Old story of a preacher, he preached one message one Sunday, and everybody liked it, and come back, he preached the exact same message the next Sunday. Everybody wondered why he was preaching the same message, and then the third Sunday, he preached the same message again, and went on about six weeks, and finally one of the deacons said, why do you keep preaching the same message? He said, well, if I, if, if I finally learn this, I'll go to the next step. <laughs> if I finally learn this, I'll go to the next step. We're all slow to learn. We're all slow of heart. We look through a glass darkly. We who, are, who know Christ can, can uh, sadly confess that we can read this book and fall asleep while we're reading it. And that's something? The very Word of God. That's us. That's what we are. And that's why we have to be reminded and rehearsed over and over again these truths that are essential to the salvation of your soul. Now these sorrowful ones, these roads, uh, these boys on the road to a mess, he says it one more time, and they momentarily, uh, shortly thereafter, see him ascend into heaven in the latter part of the, uh, the book of Luke. They see him ascend to take a right hand of the Father. Now for those who gather under the giant umbrella of what is called Christianity, and there's a lot of folks doing that today, this holiday, this Easter, is a red-letter day. It's one of the two times that most people come to church during the year. This is one of the biggies. Untold numbers will gather today and mark the day as crucial to their faith, to what they believe. You'll not find among those gathered uh, a single one or a single soul who would deny that Christ is risen from the grave. You won't find anybody deny that. Like Christmas, this celebration is good for the economy, a time for family gatherings, a time when that name that is above every name is spoken freely. And for that, I'm thankful. At least the name is spoken. The fact of the resurrection is not in doubt among those who profess Christ, and even among many who do not. The resurrection is a miracle cannot be understood by natural means. It must be understood supernaturally, and that is through the Spirit. It is a miracle performed by the one person in all human history that had power of life and death, not only for others, for himself. He who is life was able to stop living. I've never figured that out. I've stopped trying. The resurrection is a miracle. Christ has the power of life and death, and He is life to life, and He's death to death. His gospel is a savor of life and a savor unto death. He who is our life and our death, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dead, and our life is hid with Christ in God. And the fact of the resurrection is an astounding thing. 
I've never seen anybody do it. Have you? Back in the Middle Ages, they used to... The reason they started wakes back then, and what we call sitting ups now, but they used to be called wakes, was because they waited around to see if the person woke up. Because a lot of times they couldn't, they didn't have stethoscopes, and they couldn't tell if a person was really dead, but they'd get him all washed up and lay him out on the table and sit there and look at him. And if he popped up, well, that was a wake. He woke up. He woke up. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And it is His crowning achievement, worthy of note and worthy of awe and admiration. It has become almost commonplace in the language today, but to the believer, it means something. For the gospel believer, it is more than just a single event, but the fact of it reveals much more more than natural faith could ever grasp. Natural faith can and does believe many things in the Bible. There are people who go around here, you could not convince them that the Bible was not true, who have no interest in Jesus Christ whatsoever. Before I knew Christ, I believed the creation, the fall, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension were things I cut my eye teeth on. I was born and bred a Southern Baptist. The fundamental tenets of that denomination were talked about with such ease and complacency that the facts were never in question. I never questioned them. I was raised to believe them. I was raised just like I was raised to believe two and two is four. And when I heard the gospel and was given faith and life in Jesus Christ, my assurance of the facts that I had known all those years did not change. And I did not cease to believe them. But then I began to understand them. And it was a whole different ballgame. Now the resurrection was more than glorious facts. It is actually about a glorious person. This is what our Lord told grieving Martha when Lazarus had died in John eleven twenty five. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall never die. But do you believe this? Believeth thou this? These were words of assurance given to Martha concerning the eternal future of Lazarus. They are equally profound for every believer today. Christ, Jesus, in no uncertain terms, declares that those who are of His body in Him will never die. That's what He said. But more, He declares that they are presently at the moment of the conversation that he had with Martha, alive from the dead. And the significance of that is, is that he spoke of Lazarus, who was lying four days dead and in the tomb, while at the same moment Christ said he was vitally and truly and eternally alive in Jesus Christ. He was talking about Lazarus. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Before Christ went to the cross, He later rose from the grave. And later rose from the grave, He was already the resurrection and the life. He was the resurrection of the elect from the grave of spiritual death. 
Therefore, any future resurrection, and people talk about a lot of different ones, but any future resurrection, whether physical or spiritual for the believer, is already settled. You're already risen in Jesus Christ. And the purpose and purpose of Him who is the resurrection of life. This means that the resurrection of the body from the grave is receiving of life from death of sin and is declared to be so in the Word of God. John 5.25, the Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. That's what happens when the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit applies to the hearts of men. They're raised from the dead. Romans 4.25 says, Who has delivered us, who has delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Romans 6, 5 says, For we have been planted together in the likeness of His death. We shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Paul wanted to enter into the fellowship of His resurrection. And Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Strange creatures, these believers, these saints. They're in two places at the same time. They're on earth, and they're in city that's seated in heavenly places in Christ. Why? Because the earth is a blip, and time is a blip on the radar of eternity. Just a little blip. Just a little blip. When we talk about this resurrection from the dead, this when Christ said, You hath he quickened, you were dead in trespasses and sin. That's the first resurrection. That's the first resurrection, and that prohibits you from facing the second death. That's the first resurrection. When Christ raised, He said, that's what Paul said to the Ephesians. We were dead, and said, we were quickened together, together with Him, with Jesus Christ. Now this means that the resurrection of the body from the grave is the receiving of life from death. It is clear to be so in the Word of God. Now, according to the Word of God, Paul, under the inspiration of God, penned that the resurrection of Christ was of paramount importance in the matter of preaching the gospel because he tied it in with preaching the gospel. He actually says that, uh, Paul makes it clear that if Christ is not risen, then all men, all that men do in His name is vain. If Christ be not risen then everything they do in vain. There's no value to it and no consequence. Look over 1 Corinthians chapter 15 just for a moment. Look at these verses. Beginning with verse 14, it says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain. You believe in nothing. And no one, if Christ is not risen. Empty and vain. Then in verse 15, it says this, Yes, uh, and we are found false witnesses. That means we're liars. Because we testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom, uh, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Then in verse 17, And if Christ be not risen, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. In verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That's the, that's the consequence if Christ be not risen from the dead. This is the gospel that Paul preached in the first part of that chapter, verse 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The gospel. 
which I preached unto you, which you have also received, and wherein you stand, by which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." according to the Old Testament, and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. And the key word there is how. How that Christ died. How was Christ buried? And how did Christ rise? He did it according to Scripture. And Paul proclaims that if Christ is not risen, there is no Gospel to preach. No glad tidings, no salvation to publish. Those who preach are liars. Their faith is empty and groundless. No sin has ever been remitted. And those who died in faith are gone. They're just like dogs. And most who hold to any notion of so-called Christian tennis believe that Christ was raised from the dead. Everybody does. When Christ arose from the grave, it settled forever many things. Many things. To the understanding of the believer. If He died for me, if He died for me, then the law and justice must have been satisfied. And He wouldn't be in a grave unless He died. So we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about what preceded the resurrection. That is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll celebrate this afternoon. We take the Lord's Lord's table to show forth His death until He comes again. To preach the gospel is to declare Christ and Him crucified. Where does that begin? Does it begin on the cross? No. It begins in eternity. It's Christ now who was crucified. That's who we preach. He's the Lord of glory. He's your Lord. You say, well, I haven't made Him Lord. You don't have anything to do with that. It's none of your business. It's the one thing I can tell you that's absolutely true from all the Scriptures. Jesus Christ is your Lord. It has to do with you. He is your Lord. He owns you. You're His property. He will do with you as He sees fit and He will use you for His glory, whether the glory of His grace or the glory of His wrath. You will be used because you're His. You belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. That's where He is now. To preach Christ crucified begins on the throne of glory. And tells us how he got there, and that is through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He's there because of the obedient, his obedience unto death, it says in Philippians 2. He's obedient even to the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. How did he get there? He earned it. As a man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ earned the the right to sit at the right hand of the Father as a human being who is Lord over all. He is there because He died. He resurrected and ascended. Romans 14.9 said, For this end, for to this end, He died, rose, and revived that He might be the Lord of the living and of the dead. Truly, we have no place to begin preaching the gospel if Christ is not risen. We have no place to start. And what the resurrection is to the believer far exceeds the fact of the event. It's about his person. The resurrection is actually a summation 
of the tenets of the gospel. To believe that Christ is the resurrection and life is to embrace all that God connects to the risen Christ. And He connects a lot. As many gather today to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, there will be many. And I wonder that if they knew what they were actually celebrating, if they would gather to do it ever again. From talking to them about things of Scripture, I find that if they knew what the resurrection settled and said, they would never die another egg as long as they live. A great amount of what Christ's resurrection teaches is rejected by the churches that dot the globe today. What is truly being celebrated when choirs and congregations sing it up from the grave heroes? What's truly being separated or celebrated? And for many years, I preached what I'm going to preach this morning. That was a long introduction, but I'll be got about a 15-minute message, so don't worry. God has said some things that's important to know if you believe that Christ rose from the grave, whether you are a believer or not, whether you're a, you have a religion or you don't, whether you're this new age spirituality or not, you are saying some things that you might not even want to say, or let alone anybody around you here if you really, truly embrace the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, God has by the resurrection declared Christ to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Look over Romans chapter 1 just for a moment. This is a declaration. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says, "...a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle." separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by the prophets in the Scriptures. And these, this gospel of God is concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. There you go. All that's tied in. To God-given faith. And that's the only kind of faith that's real. Resurrection means that the world where the believer can't control anything, that world and all that is therein is yet perfectly controlled. Perfectly controlled. He is risen. And He as the risen Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the great mover and shaker of time and tied, and governments, and people, and all for the good of His elect and for the glory of His name's sake. That means He is absolute sovereign. Absolute sovereign. Someone asked me one time if I believed in absolute predestination, and I said, absolutely. <laughs> Being absolute sovereign, he has absolute, total, and complete claim and sovereign rights over everything and everyone. 
He has rights and he has claims because they're his. As sole proprietor of all that is, he is, he is, he has absolute right and authority to do with what belongs to him as he alone sees fit. Now we quickly apply that sovereignty to ourselves for the stuff we have and the stuff we own and the stuff we bought and paid for and the stuff's ours. Let somebody try to take it. We'll call the law on them. You can't take my stuff. If they try to take it with there, we allow it to get in a fist fight. That's my stuff. You can't have my stuff. You can't do what you want to with my stuff. Well, let me borrow your car. What you going to do? I'm going to do a demolition derby. Well, I don't think I'm going to let you borrow my car. Why? It's mine. And yet, I wonder sometimes if we are going to be held accountable for this this idea we have of our own sovereignty when we stand before God and He says, You're mine. And I did with you what I would. Men don't mind it when it comes to their stuff, but they don't want God to deal that way with His stuff. But He does. He's absolute sovereign. All His words are commandments because He's the Lord. There's no invitations in Scripture. Christ doesn't give invitations. He gives commands. Invitations can be by nature disregarded. I've been, people have invited me to stuff and I just threw it into file 13, that round 13 there beside the, uh, beside the wall. I can disregard an invitation, but you can't disregard a command. All you can do is obey it or disobey it. The gospel is a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the commandment I give unto you. Repent. This is the commandment I give unto you. All His words are command. Why? Well, the resurrection has declared Him to be Lord. To celebrate this day is to celebrate the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ. How do you think that'd go over? <laughs> of all those who are supposedly celebrating this day, if you told them well, what you're really celebrating is the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Secondly, God by the resurrection assures the believer that Christ is the righteous judge. He's the one who sits on the great white throne. Paul said in Acts 17, Because He hath appointed a day, that is, God has appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He raised Him from the dead. That's the assurance that He's the judge of all the earth. And God has given it to all men. The believer does not stand or fall on the opinions of men or the fear of counsels of religion or tremble before the evidence mongers or even the accusations of his own conscience. He does not stand on his own works or his own supposed righteousness. The saint falls a thousand times a day. He's not made it anywhere. One step forward and two steps back is the lifestyle of the child of God. We've not overcome. We will, but we won't by our works or by our, by our will or by our uh, 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 expertise. We'll overcome by what God has given us. We overcome the world by faith, according to Scripture, by believing God. Not faith that moves mountains, not faith that heals people, not faith that pops somebody on the head and knocks them down, not faith that makes you wave your hand. I'm talking about faith believing what God has said concerning His Son. That's what faith does. He's the righteous judge. I fall a thousand times a day, but I ain't worried. <laughs> ain't worried a lick. Not a lick. 
Because Jesus Christ is my judge. He's my judge. The resurrected Lord, who is resurrection and life, is the final arbiter in the entire matter of, of my acceptance before God. Now, who is the righteous judge? He's my best friend. i got somebody on the inside. I have an advocate with the Father. Every believer does. You can't get off. You're a sinner. Oh, I can't. I know the judge. <laughs> Why, if we did that in this life, we'd say that's terrible, wouldn't it? I'll get off. Why? Because I know the judge. I've already gotten off. The righteous judge. He's my best friend. He's my older brother. He's the only righteousness before God. The believer has been judged in Christ, so he has no fear of being judged. I don't fear the judgment. No believer does. If you fear the judgment, it's because you're trying to do something to please God, and you know you're not doing enough, and you know you'll never do enough. You can never, never make you perfect before God or accept you before God, and you know it down deep in your heart, but you keep on trying. That's why you feel, what's it going to be like when I face God? I'll tell you what it's going to be like when you face God. If you're a child of God, it's going to be bliss. Heavenly joy rejoicing. It's going to be bliss when you face God. The believer's been judged in Christ. Our judgment has been born already on the cross of Calvary. And that's why John said in 1 John 4.17, he said, perfect love casts out fear. We don't fear the judgment. Because as Christ is, so are we in the world. Right now. Right now. Thirdly, God by the resurrection declares, uh, let me say this, to celebrate this day, is to celebrate that there is no fear of judgment because the righteous judge is our best friend. How would that sit in most churches today? Most churches teach their people that they're going to smell like sulfur when they face the judgment. That's what they tell them. Going to smell like sulfur. Oh, all your sins are going to be called up. What sins, thank you? Oh, it's going to be like a giant television screen and all them filthy things you did all your life are going to be called up. What? And He, because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, wherein He perfected all them who are sanctified, by His one offering, forever, God says, I will remember their sins no more. And that's what that means. No fear and judgment. And that's what the resurrection teaches. Like that old song by that fellow that, Don't worry. Be happy. Thirdly, God by the resurrection declares to the believer that he's already saved. And in he was already saved in the grand predestinated purpose of God in salvation. Romans four twenty through to twenty five says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, speaking of Abraham. Now it is not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Look over to Acts chapter 2 just for a moment. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. 
Him, that is Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel, that's the predestinated purpose, and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken with wicked hands and have crucified whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holden thereof, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. What is justification? It means I, before God, have Never sinned. Never. Ever, ever, ever. Before God. You say, well, I know you're a sinner, Tim James, but you don't know half the story. And I ain't about to tell you the rest. But before God, I never sinned. You're holy and righteous. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.32, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. It is God that justifieth. The resurrection is a declaration of the imputation, of imputation and substitution. Delivered for our offenses. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his, with his stripes we are healed. Now, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. To the believer, the resurrection means that he is justified on the cross and out of the tomb. Raised for our justification. The resurrection means that the believer will never be charged with sin. Listen. If you're a child of God, God will never even accuse you of sin. If you're being accused, your conscience, which works under the law, which is your natural, carnal, moral compass, Or Satan is accusing you. God will not accuse you. Why would He? If you don't remember your sins, what's He got to accuse you of? Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, it's risen again. It's even at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. To celebrate this day. Now think about this. A lot of people doing it. What if they knew <laughs> that to celebrate this day was to celebrate accomplished, predestinated salvation, justification, imputation, substitution, propitiation, and no condemnation? What if they knew that? You think they'd want to do it again next year? Fourthly, God by the resurrection declares that the believer is regenerated, quickened to spiritual life from the dead. He has spiritual life. Well, I don't see your life. I don't see it either. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen it since the Lord saved me. I don't know where it's at. Well, I do. I know it's hid with Christ in God. Because if I got a hold of it, I'd mess it up anyway. If I saw it, I'd try to see how good it was. I don't need to know that. Spiritual people walk this earth who are have their bodies on the earth and are yet seated in heaven. They are spiritual people. And when I'm talking about spiritual, I'm not talking about glassy-eyed goofiness. 
That's what most people think is spirituality. Like, like some, some person walking around and nothing bothers them. They're just so calm and everything's so easy and beautiful with them. You know, they're just able to take it as it comes. Oh, what peace they have. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is in you and you are spiritual for one reason. One reason. To understand this book and what God is saying. Nothing else. We are quickened from the dead. It's spiritual life, and that's what the resurrection teaches. Though the believer often feels like himself to be dead, and when he does, he feels right. God has regenerated him, and the guarantee of the truth is the resurrection. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, that is believers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us, birthed us again into a lively, living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what it said in Ephesians chapter 2, isn't it? Quickened together with Him made to sit in heavenly places within. So to celebrate this day is to celebrate being born of God into an eternal living expectation that and that by election, foreknowledge, sanctification, and successful blood redemption. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? If folks are celebrating, that's what the Bible says the resurrection is about. Fifthly, God by the resurrection means that when the believer falls asleep in Christ, when he dies, his mortal body will be changed and resurrected. How's that work? I have no idea. Ralph Maney gave an illustration one time when he was speaking for me many, many years ago. He said those old gnarled bulbs we plant in October whenever we plant them, they're ugly. You wouldn't want to put one out and take one of those old bulbs that bring forth those beautiful irises and things and put them on display in your house and say, aren't they beautiful? Because they're not. They're ugly. They're twisted and ugly. And we bury them in the ground and cover them up and wait. And then spring, all of a sudden, this, this little green shoot comes out of the ground and then a beautiful yellow or purple flower flows from them. But it was that ugly old thing we planted. And that's what our burial is called a planting. We're planted together. Romans 8.11 says, It's the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit in you. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, And the God hath most raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Can be raised up. One day they're going to put us in a grave. But we ain't going to stay in the grave. That ain't our home. Our bodies will one day be reunited with our spirits. I don't understand that either. But if you don't like it now, get used to it. It's going to be there when you get there. To celebrate this day is to celebrate 
sure resurrection from the dead. Death and the grave have been defeated. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Finally, God by the resurrection assures us that our Lord will return for us and receive us to Himself and that no wrath awaits us when we get there. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. To celebrate this day is to celebrate the promise of His coming. I don't preach Easter messages as such. I don't have any problem with people giving their kids Easter baskets with little bunnies and I really like those little marshmallow peeps. I really think they're good. I don't have any problem with that. And I don't have any problem with people going out and celebrating the resurrection. Or wouldn't it be something if they knew what they were celebrating? To the believer, with every rehearsal of the gospel, the believer knows that the resurrection of Christ assures that He is the Lord's. And that all his salvation from Alpha to Omega has been accomplished by him whom God raised from the dead. Father, bless us for understanding. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.